Hello listeners, my name is Raj Singhal and welcome to another episode of Breaking Investment Stereotypes. This episode is brought to you by Multiply.co, where we believe that investing is an ignored life skill. Our mission is to create a platform where people can come, learn, share and collaborate through the right tools. Ultimately, we want your hard-earned money to work for you. Here at Breaking Investment Stereotypes, my job is to deconstruct world-class investors, wealth managers or business builders and deep dive into their journey professionally, personally or both. I want to give a little guidance on how to use the shows. None of the following should be taken as investment advice. Please see multiply.co slash disclosures for more information. My guest for today is Yashish Dhaiya. Yashish is the co-founder and group CEO of policybazaar.com. In over 12 years, Yashish has grown Policy Bazaar to become a key influencer in consumer decisions around insurance. He believes death, disease, and disability products are the future of the insurance industry as India strives towards social security. He is an avid sportsman, has worked in the past as MD of eBrokers PLC and consultant with Bain & Company in their London office. So without further ado, please welcome Yashish. Hey Yashish, welcome to the show. Hey. Yeah. So Yashish, you know, let me first start with your story. I heard that, you know, you actually got into tuitions uh, post your ITIM before building few companies. So please take us through your career and how you got into building Policy Bazaar. Yeah. Oh, sure. So uh, we used to live in Noida. And uh, uh, after my IIT and IIM, I got a job with uh, a company. And uh, the initial uh, salary for the first year was about uh, 13,000 rupees per month. And uh, I was wondering, you know, uh, my, my father did not earn so much. He was in the army. I just retired from the army, but I somehow thought I could make more money than 13,000 on my own. And it wasn't, it wasn't making sense, you know, going to a different city and working for a company uh, just wasn't adding up uh, because I could see the expenses, right? I had, I'd have to stay somewhere. I'd have to kind of put it all together and it wasn't making sense. So I started a tuition class in my house during the holidays. You get a bit of a holiday, two, three, two, three months holiday. And I started making good money out of that. Uh, about two to three times more than salary I would have received. Uh, and I had no expenditures in the sense I used to work from the dining table of our house and it was working out quite okay for me. But I think my parents did not like that. They thought it was not a respectable job or something and they wanted me to be in a job. So they asked me to join a job and I did uh, join that company. I stayed with them for four years. I did well with them. And I think there's an important piece there because if you think about it, it was not financially rewarding. It was not a job I enjoyed. But at the same time, as I look back, uh, I did very well with them and uh, I was totally focused and committed to uh, the fact that I was there. And a lot of people asked me why I did that. And to me, the important part was once I'm there, it's, it's, it's my reputation on the line, right? It doesn't matter what I'm getting paid. It doesn't matter what, whether I like doing what I do or not. The fact is that I've turned up. If I've turned up, I have to do the job as well as I can. And so I don't think you always need passion. You, you just need to get on with it. Anyway, the rest, of the, the rest of the story is quite clear. After that, I joined Bain for some time and uh, then I was at eBookers. I grew quite rapidly at eBookers, became the managing director. And post eBookers, we started Policy Bazaar, which has, uh, you know, thankfully done quite well. So I, I guess we all started our career around the similar time because I remember when I started my own job uh, with uh, uh, with my with DSP Merrill, uh, the salary was definitely lower than, you know, what you were getting at 13,000. So those were the times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Yashish, you know, while uh, many would know, uh, and you know, Policy Bazaar has been quite there in the media as well. Uh, can you please explain in your words what Policy Bazaar does and how the company generates its revenue? 
you know, people buy a lot of insurance in the market. And it is mostly sold by either a physical agent or a bank or somebody. But most of the time when you are buying an insurance policy, you are dealing with one company, one company's product, one set of products. And so your information becomes quite limited. What Policy Bazaar set out to do was make that information available to you across multiple companies. But the more important aspect in our view was that the wrong kind of, uh, let me not say that, the right kind of products were not being sold sufficiently. What are the right kind of products? You know, insurance is required for health insurance, life insurance. And when I say life insurance, I mean term insurance. I don't mean investments uh, or savings uh, primarily because the most critical part is that the, if the earning member disappears, then, uh, you know, costs need to be taken care of. And so uh, we popularized these quite a bit. And that was the clear focus that can we move uh, the focus towards protection because insurance is about protection. Insurance is not about making money. Insurance is about what if things go wrong? And we focused on that. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the second part about insurance, which is very critical, which people sometimes forget, uh, because a lot of customers ask us that why is it so difficult to buy an insurance policy? It is difficult because in insurance, you can pay 1000 rupees and take away 1 crore rupees very quickly. And so due diligence has to happen. And due diligence has to happen on the consumer also. It's not, it's not like it's my right to buy this shoe. Why can't I get this shoe? No, sometimes insurance will be denied. And the reason it will be denied is because uh, basis of declarations, there isn't comfort in the person who's taking on. So the insurance is a complicated product. And I think we are starting to bring that understanding to the entire market, that this is not about selling uh, uh, you know, a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes, which everybody in the world has a right to buy, or even an airline ticket. This is actually about uh, risk assessment and you know, absolute bona fide declarations and decisions made on the basis of those declarations. And those declarations are critical and the customers hence need to be educated to understand those declarations and understand the products. So I think we're, we're kind of leading a revolution, which is towards educating both the consumer and the industry on insurance as it should be. So, you know, just, just uh, building on that, uh, uh, you know, how for our listeners, can you tell us how different you are from uh, the traditional insurance company and many of which are listed on the exchange as well? Uh, I, I guess you guys more into aggregating the insurance, but you know. Uh, so so I'll, I'll explain a few facts yeah. to you. If you look at the industry, and I don't say that is good, bad, ugly, whatever. The point is, if you look at the industry, 85% of the products sold in the industry are either savings products with some component, minimal component of insurance cover to basically provide some tax benefit, or they are motor insurance. And a small fraction of the industry is then health insurance. And an even smaller fraction is what you would call term insurance or protection, absolute protection, right? The moment you look at us and what the customers buy through us, you would find the protection products would be 70% of what people buy through us. And only, you know, about 15% are the savings products. So why does this change happen? Why does this huge difference happen that the industry is 85% savings products Whereas we are only 15% savings products. Do we believe that the products are very complicated? Not really. Health insurance is more complicated than most investment products in, in India. Uh, and health insurance is our biggest product. While it is quite, you know, it's not as big in the... So I think, I would say we sell what the consumers ask for, uh, what the educated customer asks for. The customer is passive in most of the industry. The customer is the taker. He's sitting there, somebody approaches him and says, I think you should have this product. And the seller is in power. The seller could be the insurance company or the distributor. Whereas in our case, the customer gets up in the morning and says, hey, I want this product. Can you tell me what's, what my options are? And so if 
it just uh, the consumer demand is for term insurance, health insurance, again, based on education. I guess that's where it really starts. And that's where it, that's, that's the, you know, the boil point of, of policy desire. So I, I think you also alluded to that. I mean, you know, insurance is still uh, very underpenetrated in India. I mean, and I think you mentioned uh, in one of some earlier calls uh, or, or talks that about, you know, there are about 60 million Indian families, uh, which has got about more than five lakh of annual income. Uh, but the insurance penetration is still probably around, say, 20 percent. Even during yes. COVID, uh, you know, but only about seven to 10 percent of the people who reached the hospital had any decent medical policy. So how do you think, uh, you know, you guys are looking to change that, how that can be changed? So let me let me explain that in a very pragmatic manner. I just explained to you that 80% of the policy premium collected in the industry is for savings products. During COVID, that can also help. It's like taking your money and paying the hospital because that savings are there. However, what will really help is health insurance. Or if somebody expires, what will really help their family in a dramatic manner is term insurance. I just explained that for the industry, both of those products put together are less than 12-13% of the industry. For us, it's 70% of the of what we sell is just those products. So obviously, we have a higher focus on selling those products vis-a-vis the other products. You know, let's let's take a customer because somebody will say there is an insurance component there also. So let me actually explain it a bit. You have a customer who earns five lakh rupees income. He wants to buy protection through a savings product. Because that's what everybody says should be done. That buy, you know, an insurance policy and you'll get uh, protection. What protection should he have? I think any normal person would agree he needs about 50 lakh rupees of protection. About 10 years of income, broadly. For his family, because, you know, maybe young family, etc., etc. About 10 years of income. Now, if he wants to buy a 50 lakh rupee sum assured, if you look at most savings products, he can only buy, he, he usually will have to buy about 10 times premium will be the sum assured. So he'll have to invest about 5 lakh rupees per year to buy that policy. So it's impractical. You can never build a protection base out of a savings product, at least during your working timeline. Maybe for pensions, it works. It works for pensions. You can build a pension base through savings, but you can't build a protection against death through a savings product. You fundamentally cannot. I've just proven that to you. The business of insurance is actually a hard business. It's a very hard business. You have to assess. It's about when things really go wrong. So, you know, uh, we, we read that Policy Bazaar commands about uh, 25% market share in uh, life insurance policies, uh, processing and understand you probably process about one in every two term insurance products sold digitally. I mean, which is exact, very fascinating. I mean, you know, just, just the sheer numbers. What does uh, Policy Bazaar do differently to achieve uh, all this? I was speaking to a friend recently and we were discussing an opportunity. And in that half an hour of conversation, Every time he would come at it, he would come at it from how much money was available, how much investment could come in, how much valuation could be created. And every time in the half an hour that we were having a conversation, I was coming at it from what is the problem to be solved? Is it a big enough problem to be solved? You know, that is where the answer lies. I think uh, we we are solving a very fundamental problem uh, and we are very focused on that. Almost everybody else I have met in the in the system who wants to do this starts off with, oh, there's a distribution pie of $5 billion a year. What pie can we have out of it? The industries, without understanding that that distribution pie exists because different products are sold, that pie will go down when very consumer-centric products are sold. The consumers who need these complex products, these complex products are not, you cannot provide convenience. You cannot. Because if you provide convenience, you work against the industry and against the consumer. Because let me give you an example, right? I say, okay, everybody can come and buy insurance, no problem, no questions asked. What does that do? The people who know they're going to die in the next three months, they will come and buy the insurance. 
which is okay, good, let's do that for charity, no problem. Who actually pays for it? The other customers. So eventually increase the cost of it for everyone. So that's not the way you can do it. It's, it's a hard product, it's a hard conversation. And I don't think people understand that. I, I think I think they understand it, but I don't think that's the, I haven't, I haven't come across another person in my life who is as passionate about solving that problem. And insurance traditionally been a very slow-moving industry as well, right? I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, we are we are in our fourteenth year right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a long journey, right? So, uh, yeah. And then there are, of course, there are challenges, and you guys must have faced that. Uh, can you do you want to talk a few of those challenges? How have you navigated that? I mean, you know, this whole thinking around hey, looking uh, at the problem. We are very grateful. That while there were challenges, we are very grateful for the opportunities. See, if the regulator had not given us an opportunity to sell insurance, we can we can we can talk endlessly about the challenge that we had from a regulatory perspective. But I think the regulator did us a huge favor by creating something called the web aggregator guidelines, web aggregator regulations, then allowing us to finally become a broker again. So I think it takes a bit of time. Somebody said this to me long back. It said, don't worry about the problems. If you're doing the right thing, then you know the regulator, everybody else will come back to help you eventually. And, uh, you know, we can't expect everybody to understand what we are trying to do. Even I would have issues tomorrow if somebody, uh, l- let us say, you know, if the government came in and just said, okay, we are giving insurance to everybody for free. I would also not feel very good about it, despite the fact that we're solving my problem. I actually, personally, I would feel good about it because I think the mission we set out to do would be done. And that's fantastic. But I'm just saying, as a rational person, I, I should also not feel happy about it, despite the fact that it's serving my purpose. So I think people will always have their own you know, agendas. Sometimes we have to, my only message to anybody is uh, see if your agenda is very small or are you actually being a leader? Are you actually being the change agent or are you being the blocker? Because uh, you know, if you're just being the blocker, it's quite sad. It's just a sad way to live. It's a sad way to... And eventually, you know, death will come. You can't block change. So it's 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 hard, but, you know, do the right thing. And there are a few people in the industry who've always done the right thing. So I think, uh, yeah, you eventually get enough enough of those people and you finally sail through. Just uh, You mentioned uh, that, you know, this is 14th year for you guys and just want to pick on that. I mean, it's a, it's a long journey and, you know, uh, in early stages, I'm sure there would have been ups and downs and I'm, doing my own startup and I can see that I mean for me it's very early right now when was the point when you actually thought yeah I mean you know we passed the inflection point so I was joking with my co-founders recently when we started 200 days in a year was spent like all over right and about 30 days were spent feeling we are on top of the world that ratio now has probably reversed right and when did it become equal maybe about five six years ago so we've been about 14 years at it. And that ratio has every year we feel the number of days when we feel we are going to die are fewer. And the number of days when we feel we're on top of the world are increasing. And that's how you have to take it. You would take it, you take it. I, I realized this couple of years into our venture that you don't make your decisions basis today. You make your decisions basis how the last 90 days have been. And how many of those 90 days did you feel on top of the world? And how many of those 90 days did you feel like you were going to die? And that is how you should make your decisions. Because otherwise, yeah, the ups and downs are very very volatile in a, uh, in a, in a startup is is that five five years is a, a you must have seen other startups as well and you've been involved in a couple of the companies is is that five year you see where generally the inflection points are or people have different stages in their own i think uh, okay so two points when did we start knowing this was going to work 
and this is going to sound very very strange to you the answer is on day one we we generally knew i have done businesses in the past i was never confident they would work this one we knew would work and the reason we knew that was because we had no option to fail we were at the end of i was at the end of my bank balances i had left my family i was in a different country there was no option to fail this this failing here would have meant there is no way to hide uh, and i think that that usually creates the chance that you don't fail you know where you where you kind of effectively you burnt all your other bridges i think um, also depends on what you've given up to get there like you know you've given up a steady job you've given up the normal family life etc etc i think uh, when do investors and mass start believing this is really going to work and you know 90 out of 100 people you talk to say want to invest with you etc etc that for us happened about 5 years in because before that you know whether people were investing as vcs or funds or whatever they were effectively all angels they all had to believe in the management so i think when infoage invested when intel invested when uh, inventus invest, invested till then there were very few investors ready to invest you know one to three investors in every round after that in every round it was like okay yaar which one which of these investors will add most value to us so which one do we take and there were like always 6 to 10 investors ready uh, and i think that's what tells you that you kind of reached a stage where you're choosing rather than you know relying on the goodwill of a few uh, so you mentioned about info edge and you know i just want to spend a little bit of time on that uh, board info edge and uh, sanjeev bachchan the ani uh, there are another company which is you know going through the ipo right now probably that company is also probably done about 10 years or so and they were probably you said right they were the early investors in your company anything uh, do you want to talk about them i mean you know the uh, uh, i mean you know initial years are always they are uh, they are very very good they are extremely good uh, they are consistent they don't sway with the times they are extremely consistent remember they invested in us when fintech wasn't a word they invested in zomato when food tech wasn't even like nobody thought about food tech right see zomato is by the way it's a 2008 2009 kind of company it's actually about 13 years old when i talk to Similar all the deliveroos and the other guys here in the, U- in, in the uk they were not even born so it's way way ahead of you know what you would call food tech so i think i don't know how they invest they've also had their own set of failures but uh, they are quite a fundamental thinker they don't change so you know what i think i have noticed is many investors change their view every quarter uh, and i've seen that the best of investors they change their view every quarter in fact that doesn't happen they are uh, you know very fundamental believers in in uh, in people and in companies of course the companies have to deliver they can cut off from a company after some time they may they may refuse to invest further but they sometimes are supportive so in our first three rounds after the first round infoage was not happy with our performance or our industry or whatever they were not, they were there were a lot of concerns they had but they still supported us by co-investing it's all about like you know uh, Uh, but they still supported us and then when you know the crazy time started when everybody wanted to invest let's say 2012 onwards that they were sold because they were consistent with their view that this is a company which is uh, which has got huge amount of you know uh, uh, regulatory side uh, you know issues and all that stuff so they started selling you know we were extremely grateful that we'll be just put it that way so let's let's move back to the the insurance and i think you mentioned uh, i mean your know, insurance is a very distributor driven product right i mean you know probably no one earlier cared about the consumers uh, it it was always about how distributors and insurers were making money I, I, of course you guys doing a great job and and you touched upon some of those uh, you know in, in in our conversation so what change in the consumer mindsets do you believe has made this possible to shift from human brokers and agents to platform no i think look human brokers are a good thing i'm not saying they're a bad thing 
In fact, we ourselves are starting to have offline presence. So let's not knock the wrong thing. I think consumer understanding was very weak. They didn't know what was good for them. Let me put it this way. Almost nobody bought term insurance till 2008, 2009. So a lot of education was required. We've uh, spent thousands of crores of rupees educating the consumer on which insurance is right for them, why it is right for them, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the parts in the industry did not have any interest in educating the consumer on those facets. But with all that education that's happened, the consumer mindset, the consumer is rational, right? It's a fairly, it's a fairly rational thing that people need health insurance and life insurance. So they started getting it and they started looking for it and started buying. And I think as the future evolves, more and more of them will buy because it's a necessity, right? Because the middle class cannot afford Medicare without uh, you know, insurance. Because today it costs 25 to 50,000 rupees per day, most big hospitals in the country, unless you're going to a government hospital or something. But today, if you're going to a Medanta, Fortis, whichever one, it's 25 to 50,000 rupees per day. Now, which middle class person can afford to pay that for even one week? Right, One week is a few lakhs down already. So I think uh, uh, the Indian healthcare infrastructure is built for the rich, not for the middle class. And thus the middle class needs the support of insurance to be able to tide through tough times. Also the middle class nuclear families cannot afford death. I don't know why people don't get it. You cannot afford death. Death is a very, very expensive thing. Death of an earning member. How will those children keep going to the same schools? How will the rents get paid? How will the mortgages get paid? You know, how does it happen without a severe deterioration in quality of life? So these are necessities, uh, you know, which people have to buy before they start saving. But uh, I think uh, people are starting to understand that story. It's difficult, right? Because you just pay a few thousand rupees every month and get nothing. The best case scenario in insurance policy, you never use. And then people will feel like they're wasting money. They're not wasting money. They are making sure that out of 100 people, whoever, you know how insurance started, right? In the villages, somebody's animal would die because animals have to die, right? Everybody's animal cannot live forever. Somebody would get a disease. Somebody would get something. Let's say cows in India. And cow or buffalo was the primary source of earning because they would do the farming. They would do everything. And whosoever's cow or buffalo died, then had a massive hit on their income for the next few years. And so what the village people decided is that, guys, everybody puts in, you know, 20 rupees per month or whatever. And we just keep putting that in. And whosoever's cow dies, will get a new cow without having to bother. So the pain is distributed amongst everybody. Now, nobody knows if my cow is going to die or somebody else's cow is going to die. But yes, cows will die every year. That we know. Because if people feel they don't fall sick, they will just go to a hospital and see. There are young people just like them sitting in those hospitals. I was playing basketball with a friend of mine. Half an hour later, he was in hospital. He was 10 years younger to me. Half an hour later, he was in hospital. Within the next 24 hours, the bill was 1.5 lakhs. Uh, I know because it was my credit card. I, I had put my credit card. He didn't have money. And he took about six months to repay me that money. But the point is, these things are happening all the time. Now, if somebody can't see it, we are trying to educate them to see it. It's not about fear mongering. It's about a reality check. So I think uh, that mindset is changing, definitely. So, I mean, you know, uh, in over all these years, uh, uh, you know, you've been running Policy Bazaar, uh, what are the trends you guys are seeing right now in this whole insurance sector? I mean, I'm sure the insurance industry is headed towards protection without a shadow of doubt. Anybody who misses this trend is at their own peril because according to me, within 10 years, protection will pretty much be the only part of the industry and the rest will become very sidelined, very marginalized uh, because the consumer interest lies in protection. I think the second part is customer access is key because the customer does not come to you on his own or her own. You have a very, very difficult time because almost all the margins are going to be taken by the person who has the customer access. And I think that's uh, that's obvious because, you know, one can sell company A versus company B versus company C versus company D. It doesn't matter which company. Uh, so I think customer access is very important. 
So direct to consumer, building a direct to consumer is very critical for everyone. I think uh, uh, claims will get automated. I have zero doubt there. Within two to three years, we will see significant amounts of claim automation. And a lot of the AI would be used there. And that is when the industry would uh, grow to 3x again. Because with claims automation will come confidence in transacting with the industry. Uh, I think those are the you know couple of things that I think data will be obvious. Well, it's an obvious one, right? The data will be used yeah. more. As, as, uh, have you seen uh, COVID accelerating the adoption here uh, for the insurance? COVID uh, is going to be... <laughs> COVID has made it mainstream. COVID has made the conversation of health and death uh, one that exists in every house. Like my friends who wouldn't think about ever touching health insurance or life insurance, and I have a lot of those, started saying this is a necessity. Whether it drove a lot of action, I don't think yet. I, and I don't talk about policy bazaar alone there. Because policy bazaar has actually benefited. But when I look at the industry, the industry growth numbers don't point towards uh, a huge growth in insurance uh, penetration. Maybe it's too early for that because people are still dealing with their own. I think I think you will have more and more people buying it because it's now become kind of a necessity and people understand that. I mean, we all have. I mean, I have people in my families who have gone through issues and had to spend tens of lakhs of rupees on 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 this, and they were not covered. I have no doubt in my mind that it'll happen. But yeah, how fast are we going to see? Probably you guys will see it first. So, you know, I mean, you know, uh, we talked about insurance. I mean, it's a very key uh, element of anybody's financial planning. Uh, what would be your advice? You know, we have a lot of young listeners on, on our podcast. Uh, what would be your advice to them? How they should look at insurance as part of their financial planning? I think question people have to ask themselves is how can they afford to not have insurance? So uh, one guy, I remember my gardener long time back came back to me. Uh, and he said, insurance to Amir log lete. I said uh, that that means insurance is bought by rich people. His wife had just had some disease. I said, how much money did you lose? He told me 26,000 rupees. I said, how much time will it take for you to recover that money in terms of savings? How many years of savings? How many months of savings is that? He told me about 18 months. I said, if you had a product which took 100 rupees a month from you, this was pre Aishman Bharat days, and gave you up to 2 lakh rupees of savings, uh, you know, insurance coverage at select hospitals. You don't want to need to go to Medanta because you don't want to go there. In fact, you want to go to the not so, his eyes lit up. He said, is that possible? Because the point is education is not there. And the reason the education is not there, who will earn anything with my Mali paying 100 rupees a month, which distributor is going to make any money? You know, the distributor, I'll make 10 rupees per month or 20 rupees per month. Is anybody interested in that? In going, picking up his check, explaining to him what product to buy. How is that possible? Nobody's interested. Yes, if he only has savings of the 25,000 rupees, somebody would come to him and say, yeah, you put your money in a savings product where he can make seven, 8,000 rupees of commission because that is what is possible. But who's interested in him, in, in him buying a 100 rupee health insurance policy? 100 rupee per month health insurance policy. Nobody's interested. And so we have to understand what is the reason rather than getting you know, hooked on by some major... So I think the first thing young people have to ask answering your question is what are the pieces that you cannot afford living without? Uh, it's like uh, during the days of COVID, we could not afford going out without a mask. Insurance is like that mask. I think people have to ask themselves that question of what happens if tomorrow I'm not there? How does everything get taken care of? Because there's always that possibility, however small. And well, if somebody believes they are Superman and they will take that risk, that's fine. Like I tell people, I do not have insurance. I do not have insurance. And I tell them very clearly, I don't need it. The reason I don't need it is because I have built enough financial assets, liquid financial assets. There's cash in my bank. 
which can address these eventualities. If today I disappear, my family is not affected in any way, shape or form whatsoever, except for the emotional part. And that is because whatever I have, I'm, my dependence on my salary is so low that it doesn't matter at all. I think that's what people have to understand. That is their salary important to them? If their salary is important to them, because it's a question of assets versus income. If the income coming basis, your own labor, is a very high part of your family support system, then you cannot afford to live without insurance. And I think that is the part that people need to understand. When I'll give you one more example. Most people, when they have a serious health issue, usually their income is also severely impacted within 18 months of that. Whatever the companies say, I have seen it in practice, unfortunately. I have seen it in practice. Most companies will not retain an impaired employee for too long. We are all in competitive businesses. From yeah. a goodwill perspective, six months, one year, one and a half years, two years. Beyond that, the company will find one excuse or the other to get rid of the individual. That's the reality. Now, how one wants to face it is up to them. And if we believe those events will never happen, fine. So I think it's, it's the first item that you cross out in any financial planning. You can live without growth of income. You cannot live without insurance. Yeah, let's, let's talk some uh, personal stuff here. You know, I've heard that you personally designed almost all of the Policy Bazaar ads, you know, like Ullu Matbano, you know, Akshay Kumar's Yamraj role. Uh, uh, how do you think about all this? I mean, you, you just now mentioned about this, you know, policy insurance is like a mask. Probably we might see an ad coming out like that. But how do you think of all that? So, so uh, see, I am one of the people who's most pained by people not having insurance uh, that I have ever met. And it's not because I run policy bazaar, it's from before I run policy bazaar. It's like, how can you afford to? You know, it's asking almost a reverse question. There is an uh, ad we may be working on, which is actually a group of people uh, who say, I will go to hospital, I will go, I might even die, but I promise I will never buy insurance. I know it costs less, but I promise I will never buy insurance. But the reality is that's how everybody is. That's how 80% of the country is. Now, most agencies do not understand that pain. They want to make it entertaining. They want to make it creative. Like somebody came to me and said, you know, we will show that there's a, a jewel. And, you know, before you buy a jewel, you compare. So why wouldn't you compare insurance? They don't get the pain as severely as I get it. I'm not a very, I can be a creative person in Hindi. I'm not a very creative person in English. So if you're talking to me in English, you won't find me very funny. But if you talk to me in Hindi, you will start to find me quite funny. I think our brains work that way. We, we naturally, you know, despite being English educated all my life, let's say, the fun element of me only comes out in Hindi. So I guess uh, for building ads for ourselves, you need to feel the pain at a certain level to be able to connect with the consumer because otherwise the consumer will not get it. He does not want to act on this and rightly so. Where the best case scenario is you pay for it and you never use it. That's your best case hardly, scenario. Hardly any. Yeah. Everything else is worse than that. Everything else is worse than that. Right? So I think it's a very unique category. If I had been in the travel industry, maybe I would have relied more on external influence. But at this industry, it's very difficult to rely on external influence. And so we have to bring that pain point out for the consumer in a very dramatic and funny manner. And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. So, you know, like when we had that lady who asked that tarot reader uh, that, uh, you know, I want to talk to my husband. And uh, that guy comes and tries to do some sweet talk. And she says, are you mad? Where is the insurance policy? And he says, I forgot to buy it. She says, are you crazy? You forgot to buy insurance? So, you know, what, what do you expect us to do now? What's the point of the sweet talk now? Because how do you expect me to pay school fees? How do you expect me to do this? You know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think 
we we have to bring that pain point out in a crystal clear manner and i guess uh, that's what's the key is probably we should do our next uh, recording in hindi only because i also love hindi so <laughs> we'll, bring, we'll bring all those funny elements there there are a lot of a lot of people in the world who want to hear you in in english so that's yeah. fine so correct me if i'm wrong but i believe you are one of the india's top uh, performing triathlete and you have completed about seven ironmans and probably should explain what those ironmans are to our listeners but what role has uh, fitness played in your life uh, professionally personally and uh, i think uh, yeah yeah see on. fitness was always something that i was just telling my uh, children yesterday as we came back from a swimming pool that if i if i didn't have to work at all pretty much the only thing i would do is running so big and cycling uh, if i didn't have to you know earn for a living or whatever by if i had full freedom uh, so yeah i like it i like those activities i like them since i was 8 years old it's not something new to me but i think the step change in fitness happened about uh, at the start of policy bazaar and the reason for that is i moved away from my family because my family was in the uk and i went to india you'd be very surprised how much time family actually takes because you may work for whatever hours you want to but if you're an early riser or something of that sort or your weekends family does take a huge amount of time and all that time was suddenly just available to me because i had nothing else to do you can't come to office before 9:30 and expect to do anything because there will be nobody else there so you know especially in a role like mine what do you want to do sitting alone right so especially if you get up at 4:35 what do you go do for those 5 hours that is what led to more hours being spent on those activities and uh, you know that i obviously started taking swimming a little more seriously and uh, you know went on to represent india at the world masters championship and uh, uh, triathlon was a discovery for me 2016 i took part in my first triathlon in india and i won that triathlon across all age categories young old everyone wow uh, and i realized that i had a bit of a you know talent there uh, so i started focusing a little more of course it's a it's a demanding exercise activity from a timing perspective and as covid happened i moved back to my family and i'm actually finding it hard to focus back on triathlons because you realize the moment the family is there you realize that you know time is not so easily available so yeah that's the that's the you know broad story yes i have done the uh, seven eight ironmans and uh, uh, those are fine and uh, i do have uh, amongst the best timings in the india uh, you know in, from amongst the indians uh but uh, but i think that is that is more just just who i was so it it uh, you know it would have happened anyway just waiting for waiting to be discovered uh just want to touch point upon because you mentioned uh, you know you were in uk and you moved back uh, to run policy bazaar and to start the whole policy bazaar uh, from in 2008-9 how was it moving back and you know the working in india in initial years so i had worked in india before uh, so for me working in india is very natural but i had worked uh, at a different level uh, you know i wasn't the ceo of a company i wasn't the founder of a company in india it's very complicated i think uh, the government's been doing a lot of stuff to help but it is uh, still very complicated and you know the impression of business people is not a great impression and we all suffer because of that so i remember in one uh, of the government inspections the guy the gentleman was there and uh, i was telling him again and again sir i'm a first generation entrepreneur and he was saying no 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 now you have become a businessman <laughs> and the amazing thing was there was it was actually very wrong of him to be saying that because the connotation of that word was very wrong you know and and i think that's wrong right because a country like india does require business people 
Of course, yeah. How else are you going to? I, I tell my dad all the time. He's he's in, he's been in the army. I'm from my army family. Everybody in my family except me is in the army or navy or air force. If there are no business people, where will the money come to pay all the taxes? And where will we support everything with? How will we support our defense? How will we support our healthcare? How will we support our education? How will we support all those things if there is no income? Even small okay. small things like you know labor inspections, this inspection, that inspection. I mean, I I believe uh, trust actually is a very national issue, not just with with the government. Uh, we generally have a trust deficit. Oh yeah, yeah. I see. I see a normal customer email. Yeah. The mail always starts with fraud. Yeah. Big big names. Yes. And it may be like okay, your payment went through and the payment wasn't recognized and it will be recognized in fifteen twenty minutes or in two hours. Yeah. It's not like a scam has happened or a fraud has happened, but but we love the words fraud, scam, etc., yeah. etc. Et so I think I think it's a bit uh, yeah. The narrative needs to change in the country. The narrative needs to be okay. So I tell you what I think the narrative needs to be. If you're going to have growth, you will also have risk. And yes, a little bit of mess will also happen, and that's fine because the most important thing for us right now is growth. We as a country need a lot of employment, a lot of growth, a lot of things, and everything will not be perfect. I have seen that in my earlier, I mean, you know, industry, I was working in a bank, right? I mean, you know, the whole banking industry uh, has gone through a lot of compliance related, I mean, especially US uh, compliance related, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. And I've seen that, you know, innovation trying down, uh, controls becoming stronger. It, it, it has its own negative impact. I mean, you know, while there's some positive side to it, but the negative sides far outweighs that. So I've seen that earlier. Yeah, and uh, you know you can have a risk-based assessment of things and see where the risk is really increasing fast, and then try and control that area rather than control everything. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our conversation, so you know since our uh, show is called breaking investment stereotypes, I mean you know not uh, leaving the investment side part out, but uh, what can you any insurance stereotype that you think uh, you know uh, need to be broken? Any myth stereotyping there? I mean I'm sure there are tons. Historically, on the life insurance side, insurance has not made insurance. And I think uh, that's the key, right? So when, yeah. when people talk about claim settlement ratios, when people, what they've been selling is not, yeah, technically it is insurance, but it doesn't really insure anybody too much. Uh, it's mostly a savings product uh, with, with some, you know, wrapper benefit. And I think uh, that money is required for infrastructure products, projects, that money is required for, the insurance industry to capitalize itself, et cetera, et cetera. But those are not really the consumer's problem. You know, the consumer should be left free. He pays his taxes. He should be let free, do what's right with his money. Uh, this is the last question. And we always ask our guests that what advice you will give to your 20-year-old Yashish Tahir? It's a very interesting question. And recently, my children asked me that question. That what advice would you give to yourself when you were coming out of school or college? You know, I'll tell you, you're lucky that your children are asking that question. My children don't even ask that question. They don't ask for advice. <laughs> but yeah, please go on. So I thought for 24 hours before giving them the answer because there were some easy answers. And uh, I said, uh, don't take advice. Uh, there's nothing to give, you know. In fact, if anybody gave me advice who was 50 years old when I was 20, it'll be wrong because you're taking something away from me. You're taking away those experiences from me, which were my own, which was my learning which I would have got. Let me go and get that learning for myself rather than be advised by there are two parts to it, right? One is times will change. And even something as simple as don't limit yourself, think big. Had I known then, known that you can think whatever you want, it would have taken the fun out of thinking. 
I think it's very important that we live our lives fully and don't have any knowledge of the future, which is which has arrived before its time. Uh, besides the normal cliched quotes, because I, I can tell by kids, right, that look, if you work hard over the next 30 years, you can achieve anything. Uh, you know, eventually stay good to your friends, stay good to your family, most importantly, because eventually that's what's important. But that would be stealing away. They have to go and mess up with one friend. They realize how bad it was. And they have to limit themselves by thinking small that, okay, I will get my A star and then say, oh, that was so easy. Why didn't I think of something else? Or they have to go through their own discipline issues, mess up their discipline and realize, oh, I did not work hard. So obviously I did not get the result. The fact that karma comes back and bites you every time you don't work hard. Uh, those are just facts, right? But I think those experiences belong to each individual. I can share my experience, but uh, specifically that question, what would I advise my own 20-year-old self? There's a lot to advise. I would love him to live his life the way he did. Uh, that's that's very interesting thought, uh, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, with that, we come to end of our conversation. Thank you so much, uh, you know. Thank you. Interesting and nice conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Bye.